Um, I have a very special friend here tonight that um, it's interesting, you know, when I was pastoring the church at Goodness of God Church in Panama City Beach, Florida, um, I was in need of a piano player. So <laughs> so one of my daughters said, you need to put it on Indeed. I think it was Indeed, right? Indeed. Um, I didn't even know anything about it. I said, well, you're going to have to help me do that because I don't know anything about social media. <laughs> so she did. She filled out the thing for me and put it on Indeed. Well, the first call I got was this young lady here tonight, Nicole Phillips. And she called me and she said, I, you know, can play the piano. <laughs> well, come play for me. So she came to the church and played the piano. And I'm telling you, instantly I fell in love with her. I mean, she had the joy of the Lord. She had the anointing of God on her. And just such a wonderful countenance. And, you know, just... I just, I just thought she's she's for us she's for our church amen and so she came and she played um I, it was a good long time and uh yeah a year or two we just loved Nicole everybody loved her in our church and it was just a beautiful ministry but that's not what she was really called to do um, what she was called to do and what she had been doing uh to I guess. Four years prior, uh, four years prior, she had started, and I, want, I don't want to tell her whole story because I want you to hear it from her, but she had started a ministry called Lavished Ministry based on 1 John 3, 1 that describes the great love that God lavishes on his children, and she started that in 2014, and she is 29 years old. She's an executive director um, of this lavish ministry. She's going to tell you all about it. She's also an ordained minister with the Assemblies of God. She and her family um, have always served the Lord and done uh, ministry in their local church and there in Panama City First Assembly. And I know their pastor is a tremendous man. Um, she has her bachelor's degree in biblical studies, um, a master's of organizational leadership and uh, many other credentials and uh, awards and all kinds of things. And she has just done a tremendous job. So I want her to come and tell. She's going to even tell about our experience at a strip club. So <laughs> you'll want to listen to this. Don't turn, don't touch that dial, as I used to say. Here, Nicole, come up here. Give her a hand clap. Perfect. There you go. Okay. Now you can hear me. Hello, everyone. <laughs> it's nice to see you. Um, so first of all, thank you so much for inviting me to speak. Um, I came to Tampa kind of spontaneously. I decided last Saturday, I was like, I'm going to go to Tampa for a few days. And um, while I've been here, it's been a mixture of vacation and a mixture of work and a mixture of ministry. So um can't wait to tell you guys a little bit more about what I do in Tampa City. So I want to start with Psalms 139. Verses 1 through 8. Psalms 139, 1 through 8. It says, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before a word was on my tongue, you, Lord, knew it completely. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. 
such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? And where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. And if I make my bed in the depths, you are there. Isn't it awesome that there's nothing we can do that can separate us from the love of God? That's in Romans 8, right? Nothing we can do can separate us from the love of God. So a little bit about me and my story. Um, for those of you who don't know me, which the majority of you, my name is Nicole, Nicole Phillips. And yes, I grew up in Kansas City, Florida. Grew up in the church, mom, dad, two younger brothers, a little chihuahua named Gracie. And um, grew up in ministry, around ministry. My father was a deacon, he was an usher. My parents taught Sunday school for many, many years. Always around the ministry. And uh, I had planned to become a psychologist. I loved working with people. I loved therapy. So I planned to go to college and be- become a psychologist. Um, so I took one psychology class in college. And by week three, I decided that that was not for me. Um, it was too much science, too much brain stuff. And I just wanted to help people. Like I, I, didn't, I didn't want to know about all the, all the neurons and, and all of that stuff in the brain. So I was like, okay, God, if, if I'm not going to be a psychologist or a therapist, at least not now, um, what are you calling me to do? And so I'm 17, and I'm young, but all of my friends have these big dreams for their lives. You have friends who want to go into medical school, and girls who want to become attorneys and teachers. And I just was always conflicted up. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life. Maybe I'm only 17, but all my friends know what God has called me to do. So why isn't God revealing himself to me? So... Um, one night, it was 11.30, I believe it was a Wednesday, I was flipping through the channels on TV, and I come across a show called The 700 Club on TVN. And this woman on The 700 Club was talking, and she was very pretty, and she looked like she, she was in her early 30s. She had pink hair, and I turned up the volume because I wanted to see what she was saying. And this woman, her name was Annie, was giving her testimony. And her testimony was that she was an escort, a prostitute working on the streets of Las Vegas. And one night after overdosing on cocaine in a hotel room, she cried out to God. And she said, God, if you spare my life this one time, I'll dedicate the rest of the years I have on this planet to serving you. And, well, she was rushed to the ER. The doctor drained her stomach of all these illicit drugs. The doctor said, girl, you shouldn't be alive right now. God must have heard your prayer. So she took that as an, oh, my goodness. God must have heard me now to hold up my side of this deal I made on my deathbed. So she goes through this process of restoration and healing, and she ends up starting her own organization in Las Vegas, where she ministers to women who are in the adult industry, who are victims of trafficking, who are working on the streets of Las Vegas. So I saw this interview on TV when I was 17 years old, and I felt an immediate draw to it. I, I could only say it was like a light bulb went off in my head that that is what I'm called to do with my life is to reach women like Annie, to reach women like her. So a year later, I enroll into Bible college and I go up to Atlanta and work uh, under a pastor there for a season and end up finishing my degree at another school and moving back to Panama City. And after four years, all throughout my undergrad, I was trying to move to Las Vegas because in my mind, like exploitation and human trafficking and all of these things were happening in big cities like Las Vegas or Chicago or maybe even Tampa or Orlando or L.A. They weren't happening in my small town of Panama City or the, in the Panhandle. That's what I thought. Nothing like that's happening in my little town. 
I met with my pastor and his wife, Pastor Phil Edwards, the first family of God, and I was crying. I was like, Pastor, it's been four years. Have I missed something? Have I missed the call of God? I've tried for four years to move to Vegas, and every door has slammed in my face. Roommates and housing and job opportunities, nothing worked out for four years. And as I'm just lamenting through tears to my pastor and his wife, I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me very clearly. And what I felt the Holy Spirit told me in that moment was, Nicole, before you can have a burden for someone else's city, you have to allow me to give you a burden for your own city. And it was in that moment where I surrendered to the Lord and said, okay, if Las Vegas isn't working out for me in this time in my life, I'll give you a season in Panama City, Florida. I will serve you faithfully in Panama City. Well, that was eight years ago, and I'm still in Panama City, praise the Lord. But, you know, God has given me a heart for that city. You know, I had dreams of going to the big city, Vegas or Chicago, or even as a teenager, I, I was interested in going to, to China, smuggling Bibles into China, working with orphans in Cambodia. Like, I had these huge aspirations and dreams. But God was like, nope, I'm keeping you in your hometown to minister to the women in your own backyard. That's what we've been doing. So how this got started for me was Christmas of 2014, I had a crazy idea. This is about two months after I met with my pastor. And I, I grabbed two of my girlfriends and I said, ladies, this is what I want to do. And if you want to come with me, I could really use your help. I said, I want to put together about 60 gift bags. And in these gift bags, there's going to be a candy cane. There's going to be some fuzzy socks from the Dollar Tree and a handwritten card that said something on the lines of, we hope you have a Merry Christmas. Let us know if you need anything. Love. I think I just said Nicole. I don't even think we were lavish ministries at that point. And so our plan on Christmas of 2014 was to go into every strip club in Bay County in Panama City and give these Christmas gifts to the girls working inside. So... My team, they're like, okay, let's do it. The worst they can say is no, right? The worst they can say is no. Okay. So on Christmas we go, and we go to our, our first, our first club of the night, and uh, we go, and there's a, a bouncer, a big muscular security guy at the front door, and he was like, ladies, don't you know this is a strip club? And it's Christmas. Why are you here? And uh, we said we just want to bring Christmas gifts to the dancers. Can we come inside? And he was like, mm, that sounds kind of weird. And then we said, oh. But for you, we have a cupcake. And you know what? That big old bouncer melted. I was like, sure, ladies, you could come right on in. Okay. Praise the Lord. A $2 cupcake from Publix got us into this, to this club. So, hey, God will use a cupcake. Use the donkey, right? <laughs> so, uh, we walk in and he brings us right into the dressing room. And so women are in different stages of getting ready. Some are in their pajamas. They just got to work. Um, but the, the first thing I see in this dressing room of this strip club is a young woman who has laid face down on the floor. And she was laying in her own vomit. And what struck me as I was looking at her is that no one was tending to her. This was very normal. This was not something out of the ordinary. She did not look like she was breathing, but this was so normal that all of the other women, all of the other security guys, all of the managers, the bouncers, the owners, you know, she's like, oh, there she is, another one. 
So I'm looking at this girl, trying to figure out what's going on. One of my team members goes to the bathroom, gets a cold rag, and starts tending to her, putting this, you know, ice on her forehead and, like, making sure she's okay. I grab one of the other dancers, and I just say, hey, like, like what happened? What's going on? And this other girl says to me, oh, that's nothing. She's just being broken. And I said, broken? What, what, do you, what do you mean she's being broken? And she said, oh, she's like, oh, the, the first, like, one or two weeks, a new girl comes to strip at the club. Um, we have to break her. Like, we have to load her up with alcohol and drugs so she can go on that stage and make, make her money and be okay to do what she has to do. And, you know, she, we just need her to numb up a little bit. We're breaking her. And all I could think of as I'm talking to this dancer and looking at this other one on the floor is, okay, this girl on the floor is the one that Christ left the 99 for. She's that one. And once you see something like that, it changes you. And I could never go back to driving the car past these strip clubs and looking at them the same way. Because all I can think of now is there's so many hurting and broken women in these clubs. How can we reach them? Not just a one-time thing for Christmas, but how can we continue to minister and reach them and love them and show them that they are worth so much more than stripping at a strip club? Come to find out that 18-year-old girl who's laying face down on the floor, it was her birthday that night. She had just turned 18. Her mother had brought her to the strip club and said, Honey, it's your turn to make money for the family. It's like the depravity. And so that was our first night of ministry. And I knew that was a pivotal moment in my life. That I have to tell people what I've seen. And that's what we've been doing for eight years. So, so that continued on. And every month we would go and we'd bring gifts. And we just would build relationships with the women working inside. We'd come and nothing extravagant. We'd bring cupcakes and cookies and scarves and necklaces and earrings and um, lip gloss. Very simple, $3 gifts. But the women were so touched by that. Like, you're telling me I don't have to give you anything in return? Because in these clubs, there's always an exchange. It's, it's you do this for me and I give you this amount of money. Everything has a price associated with it. We're coming in there with no strings attached. Just with pure love. And through that, the, the simple, tangible acts of kindness, um, we've seen hundreds, hundreds of women um, come to Christ, come to salvation, choose to leave the sex industry, choose to leave their abusers. And not only that, I was telling Pastor Charlotte before Thursday tonight that not only are we seeing the women come out, but then now we're at this point in ministry where we're seeing the women who we helped out other situations, they're now helping other women. And it's been this beautiful domino effect of the seeds that we planted four, five, six years ago are now bearing fruit. And not only that, but then these women that, that you know, was the first harvest are now going out and having harvests of their own. So it has been a journey. That's how I always describe the ministry. It's been a journey. After about six months, 
of doing outreaches into the clubs, being that one woman who had a trafficker. She was being sex trafficked and a pimp. And she told us in the dressing room that she wanted a way to leave her abuse of her trafficker. And so we helped her out of her situation. But then we had a problem. Because then, when all the other girls found out what we did for this one, all the other girls started reaching out to us. And all the other girls started telling us their stories and how, how they needed help, how they needed school supplies for their kids and housing assistance and groceries. And so, October 1st of 2016, I resigned from my job. I was a substance abuse counselor at this time, working full-time doing that, and ministry was on the side. But that's supposed to be very clearly October 1st of 2016 is your last day as a substance abuse counselor. So in faith, I resigned from my job, and I told God, I said, God, I, said, I need this amount of money. You know, if, if you're telling me to resign from my job to pay my bills, I need this amount of money. I resigned from my job in faith. Literally the next day is when Pastor Scarlett told me. So that's originally how we met. Um, so yes, since then it's been a journey. Um, but we have seen the light of Christ shine in some of the darkest places. And some of the, the horrific stories that I've heard over the years. We've seen healing and restoration and freedom over life-dominating circumstances. Um, I have seen the worst of humanity, but I've also seen we serve a God who has overcome the world. And at the end, he wins. He wins. We win. So I have seen him work beautifully in the lives of the women we serve. So I want to lead you to Mark 10, 46 through 52. Mark 10, 46. It says, Now there came to Jericho, as they went out of Jericho with his disciples, as he went out of Jericho with his disciples, and a great multitude Blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabbi, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. I want to go back up to this first section. The first verse in 46 says, As he went out of Jericho with his disciples, a great multitude followed them. Blind Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. So if you can picture the scene, Jesus is there. He has all of his disciples. And along with all of these disciples, there's a great multitude of people that are with them. 
But Jesus, the Son of God, chooses to stop for the one person in that group who is the outcast of society. Blind Barmaeus, he is begging on the side of the road. But Jesus, Jesus himself, left the multitude, left his disciples to talk to the one. The one who was discarded by society, the one who was labeled and judged, the outcast. But Jesus stopped for him. I want to also lead you to Mark 5, 24 to 34. Mark 5, 24. This one says, So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude, there's the multitude again, Jesus went, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for twelve years, and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately, the blood stopped, and she felt it in her body that she was healed of the affliction. Jesus immediately, knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, you were with the multitude, and you say, who touched me? He looked around, and he sees her who has done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. So once again, we see Jesus who is in a multitude of people. All these people are trying to get to Jesus and surrounding him. But Jesus stops for the one. Jesus ministers one-on-one. Yes, there are many times in, in the Gospels where Jesus is ministering to a multitude of people at one time. Like Sermon on the Mount is an example. But Jesus tends to make a habit of ministering one-on-one. One of my favorite stories is the woman at the well. And uh, in, in the story, it's John 4. Jesus is talking to this woman at, at this well who's, who's getting water. And long story short, Jesus reads her mail. Jesus calls her out. She, I believe he says, you know, go get your husband. And she says, I have no husband. And Jesus is like, oh, yeah, you're right. You don't have a husband. In fact, you've been married five times, and the, the man you're with isn't your husband. He just reads her mail. But you know what? That one encounter that that woman had with Jesus, she ends up going back into her village, and that whole town gets saved. The whole town comes to Christ because of that one interaction with Jesus at a well. That is what we see with the women that we serve, that once they encounter Jesus, once they have that one-on-one intimate encounter with the Lord, now we're seeing them go, Go and tell their villages. Go in that domino effect and tell their friends, tell their family, hey, you must you must meet this man who told me everything I ever did. Right? That's what the woman at the well said. She said, you must come meet this man who told me everything I ever did. One of my favorite events of the year, it's called Love Overcomes. And it's a banquet that our ministry hosts for the women that we serve. 
So we invite all of the women that we've served. We tell them they can bring their family, they can bring their children. And we invite them into this banquet. So if I can picture, paint the picture for you, it's a big room. It's actually a, a ministry center at a church. And uh, we decorate it super fancy. We go all out for this event. We serve them the three-course meal. We have a photo booth. This year we had a tea station where they can pick their own type of like hot tea and their own personal teacup that they could take home, like fine china. And we just treat them like royalty. And one thing we do is we write their name. We, we have someone on our team who's very good. She's very artistic. And she can write calligraphy, which is like a fancy cursive. So she writes these beautiful nameplates for every woman with their first name on it. And, you know, the first year we hosted this banquet, I was in the main room, the main area, and I was seeing girls walk into the room with their nameplate, but they were crying. And so me, I'm like, oh, no, like, did we do something wrong? Like, like, what's going on? Why are all these women crying? Because they're just, we haven't even started the service yet. There's been no food. There's been nothing. They're just walking in with their nameplates crying. And so... I pull some of the girls aside and say, hey, like, are you okay? Like, what, what's going on? There's so many people crying. <laughs> and the women told me, they said, Nicole, the, the fact that someone would take the time to write our name, because, you see, when women are in the sex industry, they have a fake name that they use. They have a fake persona they make up. And so we weren't calling them by their stage name, by their entertainer name. We were identifying them by their name, by their real God-given, you know, mom and dad-given name. And so the fact that we would take the time to, number one, learn their name, but number two, write it on this fancy nameplate, it pierced their heart. Isn't it awesome that we serve a God who calls us by name? He knows our name. He knows how many hairs we have on our head. He knows us. So I believe if we can connect these women we work with, all these survivors of, of horrific abuse and trafficking and exploitation and trauma, if we can connect them to their identity in Christ, everything can change. Once they know their worth and their value and their calling, that they were not put on this earth to be in the sex industry. So what were they put on this earth to do? And once that light bulb goes off for them. It changes their life. And not only that, that it not only does it change them, but the generations after them. Because you see, so many women we work with, their mom was a stripper. Their mom was a prostitute. Their grandmother was a prostitute. We're talking generations. So we are called to break these generational curses through the power of God. We are breaking these curses off of these women, whether it's sexual trauma, poverty, abuse, drugs, exploitation, homelessness. Once that breaks, it doesn't have to go to their children. And so, you know, at this banquet, we have all these women who came, and the banquet's on my heart because because we just had our banquet last last week. So that's part of why I'm in Tama, just to kind of get a breather for a little bit. But we had a packed house with so many women who were hungry for God. And what was beautiful this year, last week, for me to see is that I'm looking over this room, and at the end of the service, we had this amazing speaker. At the end, when she was done, it turned into like a spontaneous worship service that was not planned. But we had someone who was playing uh, acoustic guitar, and she happens to be a worship leader as well. And as she starts playing the song, Good, Good Father, 
did not ask her to play that, but she starts playing it. And what I saw at this altar was, I know a lot of these women's stories, okay? I know a lot of their stories because we've worked with them very intimately. But I'm looking across this altar and I'm seeing survivors of trafficking who left their pimps, left their traffickers two weeks ago. I'm also seeing people who've been away from their abusers for 20 years. I'm seeing women who stopped stripping five months ago, women who are still stripping. <laughs> I'm seeing this diverse group of women who are at this event. But through tears, they're at the altar with their hands raised, saying he's a good, good father. Most of these women, I'd say 80% of these women, are survivors of severe childhood sexual trauma. So the fact that in faith, they're at the altar saying he is a good, good father. That was amazing to me. And our speaker, that's a lot of what she spoke about, because her story was that of severe childhood trauma and abuse. Um, she was in the foster care system for a while. Um, she had 28 siblings, all living in one home. And uh, she told her story in, in a very, very lengthy story of uh, what she survived and how she changed her life through the power of God. So we're still getting testimonies from this event. Um, but we know after last year's event that a few girls in the room, one girl, she's now in pre-law. She she chose that that was she will never go back to the sex industry again. This was about a year ago, last June. She said, nope, Nicole, I'm never going back to the industry. I'm not even going to have a boyfriend right now. Like I just want to focus on the Lord. And um, she felt like God led her to law school, where she is right now. And um, her dream, her goal is to become an attorney that represents survivors of sexual trauma. Another one is now it's going to become a teacher. She wants to be an elementary education teacher. And, of course, last year at this banquet event, that was her last night. That was the night where she said, no more. I'm done stripping. I have a bigger calling than this. And so she has worked two waitressing jobs, um, working long hours, and she has three kids of her own. And um, she is now in college to become a teacher. And why she wanted to become an elementary education teacher is because there was a teacher in her life who spoke into her life. And she said, if I can do that for someone else, that's what my calling is. My calling is bigger than working at this place. I want to lead you to um, Luke 10, which Pastor Scarlett, I usually always bring this up when I, when I speak. But Luke 10 is the story of the Good Samaritan. And we see this this man who's walking this 18-mile journey from Jericho to Jerusalem. And uh, as this Jewish man is walking on this journey, he gets robbed and beaten up and left for dead on the side of the road. Uh, as this Jewish man's laying on the side of the road for dead, a priest comes by. And a priest was like a pastor back in the day. And the priest comes and he sees this Jewish man but this man is unclean. Okay, I'm not allowed to associate with that man. So the priest walks on by and leaves him alone. And then we see a Levite, who's like a church leader of the time. And a Levite comes and once again sees this man left for dead. But, oh, he's unclean. I can't associate with him. But then we see the Samaritan man. And Samaritans and the Jewish people really didn't, didn't get along. 
And so the Samaritan man comes and he sees this Jewish man. And he tends to his needs. He helps bandage up his wounds. Not only that, he says, hey, you can go on my donkey, my mode of transportation. I'm going to take you to an inn. And the scripture actually says that the Samaritan man pays for the the inn stay, for the Jewish man to stay at this, this inn. Paralleling that, to that's exactly what we do with the women we serve. And that's what I believe the church is called to do. Number one, we see them. We don't see them as their stage name. We see them that they are daughters of the king. We see their worth. We see their value. We, we see and call them by their real name. Number two, we help bandage those wounds. Sometimes those are emotional wounds. Those are spiritual wounds, physical wounds. We assist them in bandaging whatever wounds that they have. Number three, sometimes they get on my mode of transportation, which is usually my car. And oftentimes we have to take them to an inn. So that could be a safe home, so somewhere that's secluded and confidential that no one knows where this home is in case there's someone bad who's looking for this woman. We can keep them safe in a safe home. Um, that could be a drug rehab program. That could be a um, battered woman's shelter. But sometimes we do take them to an inn, and yes, we do we do pay for it. So that is what I believe the church is called to do, is seek and save the lost. Right? We are going after that one. You know, for me in ministry eight years ago, that one for me was was that woman on the floor. Okay, and now throughout being in ministry and through eight years, there's there's those those highlighted people in my mind. You know, I've talked to detectives and I've talked to teachers, and I ask them, it's like, you know, looking back on your years teaching and education, or looking back on those cases that you've worked as a law enforcement officer, are there certain stories that just are highlighted to you? Are there certain people or, or cases that are highlighted to you? And they always say, yeah, like teaching. Oh, yeah, I have, like, I guess teachers can't have favorite students, but they'll say, yeah, like these kids were, these children were highlighted to me. They they stood out to me in my memory. Or detectives, law enforcement officers, they'll be like, yeah, these three cases were, were highlighted to me. These were, you know, very emotional and personal cases to me. And it's like looking back over these eight years of ministry, it's the same thing as I can think of, women who have just been very highlighted to me. And when I first started ministry, I had this this big aspiration of, you know, we're just going to go into these clubs and all these women are just going to come running out and decide that they're not going to want to be there anymore. Um, I wish it was that easy. <laughs> There's so many strongholds there that keep the women there. But one thing God has shown me over time is is to not always focus on the masses, but to focus on the one in front of you. And so. In closing, I want to challenge you to think of who are the ones in your life. You know, Jesus, like, just like Jesus stopped for the one, right? Are there any ones in your life that are highlighted to you? Are there any ones in your life who God has brought across your path who you are called to reach? Because maybe there's no one else who will reach them. Maybe you, you are that one for them. So just want to leave you with that thought of pray to the Lord, seek the Lord, find out who are the ones in your life that you are called to. Um, we, I was going to tell the story of when Nicole, <laughs> when I, I've told our church members here, but some of you online might want to 
know what I was talking about that we went to strip club together. <laughs> so no, it's all good. Um so uh Nicole called me and said, Pastor Scarlett, can you go to the strip club with me tonight? <laughs> she said I don't go alone and uh someone had not been able to go with me. So uh she said I'll pick you up between nine thirty and ten, which is way past my bedtime. <laughs> But I said, okay, let's do it. And so I was drinking coffee when she came by to get me. <laughs> and we went out. Um, she was going to deliver a couple of fans and a microwave because um, what they do is any needs that these ladies have. And the microwave had gone out. They couldn't eat anything. We'll bring a microwave. And then their fans had gone out. So it's really hot. So anyway, we um, drive up. And the bouncer, this is what surprised me. The whole thing surprised me. But, you know, it was from the very start. The bouncer came out and said, Nicole, hello. <laughs> like he was a greeter or usher at the church or something. <laughs> How are you doing? Can I help you with anything? And, of course, yeah. So he got the fans out of the, in the microwave out of the car. And we went in. And, of course, there's dancers dancing. And um, the DJ said, there's the church ladies. <laughs> okay. Certain DJs will come over the actual microphone, like in the club. So there's all this loud music playing, and then all of a sudden you hear him saying, oh, the church ladies are here. And we'll have all the men wave to us. It's great. <laughs> really interesting ministry here. So anyway, we go back to the dressing room. And, of course, you know, they're not dressed, <laughs> which you have to kind of get used to that, too, if you've not done this before. And um so Nicole said, this is Pastor Scarlett, and she will pray for you if you need prayer. If you need anything, you know, we'll pray. And we did. And uh so anyway, we gave them the fans. They were thrilled. In the microwave, they were thrilled. And on the way home, Nicole said, Pastor Scarlett, did you, would you like to do this with me? And I said, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think I want to do this. I love you, Nicole, but you're the one that graced to do ministry you know so there's not all of us are not in for maybe this type of ministry but we can support it we can pray for the ones who are called um like my husband you know pastor david he's preached all over the world literally every continent but antarctica i think and because he's graced to do that we're not all graced to do that type of travel and ministry for 40 years you know and nicole is you can see tonight just the really small part of her ministry that she shared because it has been outstanding in every way i mean she i don't want to talk all night and we're going to dismiss but i just want to tell you that her courage even at such a young age um they went to um the uh super bowl now this is when she was playing at my church um, so she reported back, you know, all the things that happened because she said, well, can you tell a little bit about Super Bowl and how what happened? there?" So um, this was Houston. I believe it was 2016. Um, I had the opportunity to go to, the, to Houston, Texas, for a week to work with law enforcement and some other organizations there who were conducting some outreaches, but also sting operations um, the week of the Super Bowl. Because the Super Bowl, wherever there's a lot of men congregating, Sex trafficking and sexual exploitation goes through the roof because it's all about supply and demand. It, wherever you have a long, large events, so NASCAR races, um, Kentucky Derby, um, NBA 
playoffs, like all of these things, um, you get an increase in, in bad stuff happening too. So I go there on this trip and uh, one of the things that the team did and law enforcement did is there's websites where you can go on and you can actually order women. So, and this is not the deep dark web. This is a very simple search online. And you literally go to this website and you type in, I want a woman who has brown hair and blue eyes. Press search, you know, Panama City, Florida, Houston, Texas, Tampa, Florida. Press search and all of the women for sale will come up. And it's like ordering a pizza. I hate saying it that way, but that's how it is. You, you pick what you want and you order, you see the prices, you see what you get for it, you order. So, um, we ran a lot of fake ads during this event and over the span of, I believe it was only four days of running ads, we had over 1800 men contact the ads. And that was actually for only one ad. One ad had 1800 hits in three or four days. So it's just, insane insane how it's so normal in our society to just objectify humans women and um just to brag on her they they gave the women who came to help with all this like nicole um three different uh ways that they could help serve the police officers in their cars and all and there was kind of a mild one, a medium one, and then an extremely risky one. And, of course, Nicole picks the extremely risky one. And uh, she had a bulletproof vest on, and, yeah, they were followed and got in a police chase. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, this is an amazing – yeah, it was wild. And she told lots of stories when she got back about incidences during that time. I just want to say that she's so courageous and so brave and so bold. And uh, she has so many wonderful contacts, even in Panama City, with police uh, uh, law enforcement. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it goes uh, – it's just really deep, a lot of depth in her ministry. And I'm so proud of her, aren't you all? Let's just give her a hand. Praise God. I love you. So proud of you. Hallelujah. All right, David. And if you want to give to her ministry, of course, um, it's lavished ministry. You can give online. She was on my podcast. I interviewed her and, uh, uh, she was, uh, uh, had a certain amount of money that you could give. And then it was met by, doubled by someone that was going to do that. And she met that goal and, so uh praise God, God's supplying and financing her ministry. So if you'd like to get involved with that, you know, definitely go on lavish uh and ministries dot com. Yeah, and for those of you online to look her up and support her ministry. David? Uh Jerry, do we have the words to win the loss at any cost? Uh I'm gonna sing this I'm gonna sing this song, uh I'll try it <laughs> um, just by myself. And I want you all just to, to listen to the words and think about it. This was written by uh, our founding pastor of this church, uh, Pastor Leon Ellis. And uh, it's just been an iconic song around the world. And um, I think it's appropriate to, to end this great service tonight with this. As 
we look around us, all the fields are white. Ripen unto harvest, and so swiftly come tonight. Christians must get busy, there is work to do. Here's an urgent task for work to do. Amen.